Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. It will bear no fruit. And then we take that piece of passage and we talk about it and we discuss it over and over to the point where we say, okay, but like it doesn't really have to die, like it must just like sprout. And like we, we discuss it amongst ourselves until we reach a conclusion that we're sort of comfortable with and then that conclusion we take and we apply it to our lives. But Jesus says we must become like little children. Um, just before I get into the, the meat of my message, I just want to pray mainly for myself, but for you and for the Word as well. So if you can just bow your head with me, I'll appreciate it. Ach, Jesus, we come to you this morning with expectant hearts, Lord. We are here to meet with you. We thank you that you met with us in worship, and I pray that you will meet with us in this time of sharing the Word. Father, I pray for myself and for my tongue, and for every word that proceeds from it, Lord, I pray that the words that are not born of you, that it will just fall to the ground, and it will die, and it will bear no fruit. But I thank you, Jesus, for the words that are born of you, Lord, that they will fall on fertile soil, and it will bear fruit a hundredfold, Lord. I thank you that you will teach us something about your heart this morning, and that we will be more effective in our walk with you. And all God's people said... I mean, at least half of the congregation is God's people. The other half just bump your neighbor and says that. This actually includes you as well. So, as I was saying, we need to become like little kids. Jesus said we need to become like little children. And um, last week, Saturday, I had a very interesting encounter with my middle child, Anka. She's four turning five soon, I think. Just checking with my wife, like asking Philip... How many years he's been married is like a long time. So husband speak for, I'm not exactly sure, I'd rather ask my wife. Um, so I'm driving with her, we're going on a daddy-daughter date, and as we're driving, she says, Daddy, being a disciple is very difficult. So remember, she's four. So I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, no, like, being a disciple is not easy. Like, I struggle with it. So now I'm thinking to myself, surely she's using the wrong word in the wrong context. She's like, this is a deep revelation for a four-year-old to share with you. And I'm like, what do you mean being a disciple is difficult? She's like, oh, daddy, man, don't pretend like you don't know. A disciple is somebody that follows Jesus, and it's difficult for me. So I'm like, wow. So now I'm prodding a bit more. Now I'm the spiritual parent. Now I'm trying to understand. Now I'm looking for a deeper revelation, like something that's going to be like, profound and hit me and I'm like so what is difficult she's like it's very difficult eating healthy and looking after my body and not having sweets the whole time and then I thought to myself you know what I was expecting a profound thing but it's actually such a such a spot on thing and then she goes further and she's and, I, and she's like you know what else is hard I'm like no tell me what else is hard? she's like it's very difficult for me to forgive people if they were ugly to me it's difficult for me to forgive them but I know Jesus wants me to forgive them, and that's why I say it's difficult to be a disciple. And very often we fall into that trap where we're looking for the deep revelation, but we forget the basics, where Jesus said, become like little children. Eat healthy, look after your body, make sure that the temple that the Holy Spirit occupies is a temple that He wants to be in. Forgive other people that sin against you. Be the least. So this morning I want to talk about being a disciple. That thing that's hard for my four-year-old, and I can be honest, maybe it's easy for you, but for me, it's very difficult. Philip spoke about something interesting last week about saying yes to the Lord and continuing to say yes. And I believe a big key to unlock that is discipleship. Paul wrote, um, and he said that he's very careful to the way that he lives to make sure that after he's preached to other people that he himself will not be disqualified. He even writes, he says, look at me for I have run the race and I have run it to completion. 
So the keep saying yes part is very, very important. Who of you have known people that came to Christ two years, three years, and then they sort of fade away? All of us, we've, we've seen people like that, and it's the continual yes part that's the problem. And I think a big key to that is discipleship. But as I said, it's a, it's a big word, it's a lofty word, and I'm going to try and unpack it for us in a very simple manner. So, because it's such a lofty word, by no means am I saying that the way that I'm going to frame discipleship is a holistic view. There are ele- other elements to it, but I believe these are the fundamental building blocks to discipleship. And if you can do what I call the three F's, well, in the sermon I'm calling them the three F's, but no means that I coined the phrase. It's something that you can Google, and there's a lot of people who spoke about it. The first time I heard about it was in a book called um, Wiki Church. Uh, it's the founding pastor of every nation, and he speaks about the three F's of discipleship. And I'm going to unpack them, but it's follow, fish, and fellowship. Those, I believe, are the three main pillars on which discipleship is built. Now, you might ask yourself, why is discipleship important? Why am I emphasizing it? Why am I saying it is a key to unlock how we can continually say yes to the Lord? Well, if we just look at Jesus' life, it was the first and the last words that he spoke to his disciples. The first words, he's walking along the seashore and he's seeing his first disciples busy catching fish. And then he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There's an important word in that passage that I just want to emphasize here. It is that he will make us. If we follow him, he's not going to teach us how to fish for people. He's not going to add a skill to our repertoire. He's not giving us another to-do list. It is a making. It is a part of our identity in Christ. It's something that we have to become, is fishers of men. And then his last words were, very famous passage that all of us know, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And it's the Great Commission. And I don't know if you've ever um, sat at somebody's deathbed or had a conversation with somebody that knew that they're about to die soon. That conversation very, very rarely goes about the weather or about their gardening technique or about how well behaved their dogs were. Or The conversations don't center around that. A conversation at somebody's deathbed, their last conversation, is something of substance, something of meaning, something to drive home a point. So Matthew 28 is written in the context, so Jesus walked with the disciples for three years, then he got crucified, he got rose from the dead, he appeared to them many times. Now this is the final conversation. He's about to like, disappear into the clouds. Weird concept for me. I would have loved to see how that happens. It sort of ends where the disciples stand there looking up and the next moment there's an angel, angel next to them and says, hey, w- w- what are you looking for? Uh, it's a funny scene. But so, so Jesus is going and then he says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Now this passage doesn't bring relief necessarily to this feeling of, I don't know where to start, because it's, a, it's such an all-inclusive passage. Huh? When you read it, do you feel overwhelmed? If I read it, I feel overwhelmed. This is going into all of the world, and preach the gospel, and you need to baptize them. And it's like, it's like a daunting statement. But there's a cool part in here that God showed me a couple of years ago that I've done and I keep doing, and it and really helps me a lot. He doesn't say, go and teach them everything that has ever been taught. That's not what Jesus says. 
Jesus says, if you go and disciple people, just teach them what I have taught you. So my question to you this morning, who of you have ever sat down and made a list of the things that God has taught you? God has taught me how to honor my wife. God has taught me how to work with a budget. God has taught me how to seek his face early in the morning. He's taught me a structure for a quiet time that works for me. God has taught me how to lead somebody else to him in a prayer. God has taught me how to show kindness in a situation that's really difficult. It's things that God has taught me. So what I've done is I've written them down on a list. And when God sends somebody or when I find somebody that's in need of discipleship, I sort of have an arsenal that I can draw from. Then I don't feel as hopeless because I've got something. I've written it here. God has taught me this thing. So now I've got authority. Now I've got something to give. But I think very often we find ourselves, we feel inadequate. We feel we don't have something to give. So I want to encourage you, make a list of the things that God has taught you. And if there's one thing on that list, then that's fine. But at least you have a place to start. So I want to encourage you to make the list so that you have a place to start. So let's unpack the three pillars of discipleship this morning. So it's following Jesus and other people. It's fishing for other people. And it's fellowship with other believers. That doesn't sound so difficult. Huh? Let's follow Jesus. Let's invite other people to follow along. And as we're following, let's care. That doesn't sound too intimidating, does it? Let's wait until we get to the first scripture. So let's go to the scripture for follow. So what I want you to, to do is remember the way that I started. Let's become like little kids. Let's take what the scripture says at face value, like a kid would read it. Let's not over-engineer it. Let's not try and soften it because it is one of those very difficult scriptures to, to digest. In Isaiah, we read a, a, a very cool illustration. So the prophet comes and he takes a scroll and he eats it. And it says, and it was sweet on my tongue, but it turned sour in my stomach. Who of you feel like that sometimes when you read the Bible? While you're reading the Bible, you think, yes, this is so cool. I feel energized. And then you sort of start digesting it. And then you realize, oh, I'm going to have to stop doing this thing. Or, oh, I'm going to have to start doing that thing. And then it sort of goes sour in your stomach. It's a healthy part of Scripture. So let's, let's, let's allow Scripture to go a little bit sour in our stomachs this morning. Is everybody still with me? Am I making sense? I know it doesn't sound too... Amazing, but I'm taking you on a journey. And the starting point is this scripture. If we can't make peace with what this scripture says, we can't walk into the green pasture. Because there is a green pasture. But we must go through this gate. So it starts off, this is a passage where Jesus speaks. It's found in Luke 14, 25. If you want to follow with us and from verse 25, we read, a large crowd was following Jesus. So Jesus was walking, and there's a large crowd. Now, they don't say the numbers, but it's a lot of people. Other places, he feeds 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. It is a lot of people. I still don't understand exactly how he communicated to the crowd. I think um, Chosen illustrates that quite nicely. Who of you have watched Chosen, by the way, the series? If you haven't watched it, it is an amazing series. Like, I, yeah, but how, how they portray him communicating, he speaks and then one of his disciples sort of stands 50 meters into the crowd and he listens to what Jesus says and then he repeats it. And it's like broken telephone. I wonder what the guys at the back heard. Hopefully the Holy Spirit kept the telephone alive, but if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, it would have been the interesting message that the guys at the back received. But anyway, so there's this large crowd. They're following Jesus. And Jesus does this often when there's a large crowd. I think we teach our kids about a meek and gentle Jesus. But 
it's very seldom that I read about a meek and gentle Jesus. Often he says, he says crazy things. There's a story where he speaks to the crowd and he says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you will have no part of the kingdom. And then the scripture says, many people got offended and they turned around and they left. Now I'm thinking Jesus should say, wait, wait, wait. You guys misunderstood me. Let me explain. I'm sort of talking ahead about communion and you need to be able to like, but that's not what Jesus does. He leaves them to go. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, you also want to go? Who of you want to leave as well? And I think to myself, why would he, why would he do that? But he's testing hearts. And this morning I feel he's going to come and test a couple of hearts. He's looking for commitment. In that story, Peter responds so beautifully. He says, for where else will we go? You alone have the words that lead to eternal life. So he turns around and he said to them, if you want to be my disciple, who wants to be Jesus' disciple? Let's see. Yes, lots of hands. Okay. So forget about your neighbor. Forget about your aunt and your uncle that were supposed to be here that you invited or your friend or your roommate. that you. If you rose your hand, the scripture is for you. Okay. So if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and your mother, your wife and your children. I have a beautiful wife. And for Jesus to ask me to hate my wife in comparison to him is a bold question. Even my brothers and my sisters, that's a bit easier than hating my wife. Me and my sisters, we fought like cats and dogs. Luckily, it's a bit better now. But that's an easier thing. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Isn't that a hard word? Huh? Isn't that a tough word? But let's reflect on the crowd that Jesus was speaking to. He's speaking to a Middle Eastern, predominantly Jewish crowd here. How did the family structure look in that crowd? Family was everything. Family was your business. Family was your retirement plan. There was no retirement annuities in Jesus' day. Huh? It was your family. And into that crowd, he says, in comparison to your family, you need to love me so much that the comparison should be as much as loving and hating. That's the call. That's what he calls us to. Let's go further. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Very often we read over that small little sentence. Like, yeah, I must carry my cross and we sort of think about maybe it's the chain around my neck or I don't know what we think. But let's remember, the, the, again, the context. Jesus was speaking to a crowd that at least on a weekly basis saw somebody coming out of the city carrying a wooden cross that they would be crucified on. So what is Jesus saying? If you're not willing to suffer a death that is painful for me. You are not worthy to be my disciple. Then he goes even further. He says, but don't begin until you have counted the cost. So this is why we're starting with the scripture. It doesn't help we start talking about following Jesus until we talk about the cost. So I just want to talk about the cost very briefly. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is even enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone <coughs> might laugh at you. They would say, there is the person who started the building and could not afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he can't, he'll send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how will you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good for Neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it is thrown away. 
anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Isn't that such a difficult word? But there is good news. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. So he calls us to something that is seemingly impossible. But he says, if you're with me, if you're close to me, you can do it. So the starting point for discipleship for me, the discussion is, have you counted the cost? Every person who's raised their hands, have you counted the cost? Realistically, I didn't want to speak today. Who, who would in their right mind sign up for a more stricter judgment? Judgment's already going to be, like, I don't know when last you've read Revelation, but it's like an interesting picture, like we're going to give an account for every word that we've spoken. If you're anything like me, I speak a lot. My judgment's going to be long. Like, I'm sorry for the people behind me in the queue, but they're going to grow patience. Like, Jesus will teach them some patience waiting for me to give an account. It's going to be tough. Now I'm signing up for a stricter judgment because I'm teaching. Why do I do it? Because I'm counting the cost. Because where else would I go? He alone has the words that leads to eternal life. Scripture says, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. For me, the fear of God is what's keeping me to follow God. The fear of God is what's keeping me to be able to say, yes, Lord, every day. So now that we've counted the cost, I should, have, should try and manage my time here a little bit. Okay, so we've counted the cost, and we said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to pay it. We're going to fail many times, but I just want to just, yeah, just stay on that slide for now. I just want to drive home a point here. Very often we can misinterpret Scripture, that these are commands saying that we have to renounce our family, or we have to do a certain thing. There's a story in the Bible of a rich young, rich young ruler that came to Christ. And he said, what must he do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you need to go and sell all of your possessions. But Jesus doesn't have a problem with money. It's a principal question for Jesus. Jesus is testing our hearts. He's asking, are you committed? It's a question of commitment. So don't leave here or don't, I don't know if Phil left, but he'll probably listen to the recording. Don't go tell Philip, Christoph said, I have to hate my parents, otherwise I can't be a disciple. But what I am saying is you must be willing to lose your family. We've got friends who's missionaries in an uh, eastern country, and they, when they lead somebody to Christ, they literally get ostracized out of their family. They run the re risk of being killed, like literally stoned to death, through with being thrown with stones until they die because they've placed their faith in Jesus. Their commitment, seeing commitment is easy because the risk is real. Here, in this setting, the commitment is a theoretical question. But the things that we have to give up might seem smaller. But my question is, are you willing to give it up? That Philip spoke about the career that he gave up last week. Interesting story. Now, I won't make the interview. I'm here in the middle of nowhere, blah, blah. That's fine. We'll send a chopper. Yo, saying no to that is, huh? how cool is that story? So, are you willing to say no to the promotion? Are you willing to say no to the beautiful girl that doesn't love Jesus? Are you willing to say no to the guy with the big paycheck that isn't as committed? 
are you willing to say no to those things so that you can be close? Because the thing is, the further we go, the harder it becomes. So say no to the small things because they actually matter. So we have to follow Jesus and we have to be close to Him. The second pillar is fishing. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. At once they left their nets to follow Him. An integral part of discipleship is fishing for other people. Discipleship sort of has a life cycle. You start as a, as a baby in the kingdom, then you mature. The maturity point for a disciple is when that disciple can again start making disciples. So we are called not to make disciples, but we are called to make disciple makers. Does that make sense? Jesus says, for I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came so that people can get into relationship with him. And we get to partner with that amazing call of Christ. To be able to lead people to him and assist them to grow in maturity. Are you guys with me this morning? I think that first scripture is sort of st- stunned all of you but it's getting better we're going to get to the kayer so we're following now we're fishing we'll get to the kayer i promise but we had to go through the proper door if you don't go through the proper door you're going to follow a jesus of your own making there's a song by eminem will the real slim shady please stand up you know that song in the western church i just want to sing will the real jesus Please stand up. I think a lot of us, myself included, will get a fright when we see the real Jesus. The Jesus that's coming back isn't the guy with a little lamb under his arm and the long blonde hair. He's coming back with a robe drenched in blood, with a sword coming out of his mouth, with fire in his eyes, feet like bronze. That's the Jesus that I follow. I don't follow the Jesus that gives me a promotion and that heals my family when they're sick. We came through a spell now of everybody being sick, and I'm definitely not saying sickness is from God. Don't misinterpret me. But the one morning or evening, I can't remember what it was, Renee was sitting on the bathroom floor with her hands in her hair, and she said, it's so unfair, like we're getting all of the diseases. (laughs) And I said, no, sweetie, it's just how it works. Our kids are sick, and it sucks at the moment. But we're no worse off than anybody else. We stay in a broken world, but Jesus is with us in the valleys and in the mountaintops. And we need to invite people into that space. We need to be real with them. Otherwise, if we portray something that isn't real, we're calling people into something that isn't real. Show your weaknesses to people. Show your struggles to people. Something that I struggled with is pornography. And I've discipled so many guys because it's something that I struggled with. So it's something that I can relate with. I heard interesting stats the other day saying that 75% of men in church, in church, not out there, it's an American stat, but I think it's applicable to us, watch porn regularly, the stat says. 65% of women say they watch porn regularly in the church. Now it's something that I struggled with. I'm sharing that because I'm real and I need all of us to be real and admit our faults. Something that the enemy is so good at is he, he's a wolf. How do wolf hunt sheep? Just before I get to the wolf part. Who of you have ever looked at sheep and thought, wow, what a beautiful, gracious, intelligent animal. It is a masterpiece of the animal kingdom. No one has ever looked at sheep like that. I don't think so. But yet we read that God says we sheep and we sort of go over it. <laughs> I think there's a reason why he calls us sheep. We stubborn. We not very intelligent. We sort of go our own way. We walk off cliffs. Like sheep, like uh, 
there was a time when I spent a lot of time in the sutu there with the church, and, and there they do farming with sheep. And the one morning I, I sat and I just looked at the sheep, grazing. And Jesus said, I, I'm comparing you to those animals. As and I was offended. I was like, yes, Lord, surely I'm better than a sheep. Like, there has to be a better, can't I be a tiger? I know I can't be a lion because you're the lion, but I want to be a tiger. Or a leopard would be cool. But he compares us to sheep. Sheep need somebody to lead them. Sheep needs something to follow. Just coming back to the wolf analogy, what wolves do well is they isolate from the pack, from the herd, or I don't know, flock, from the flock. So, what happens to us? I'm the only one struggling with this. I'm the only one who struggles with poor. I'm the only one that swears. I'm the only one that I've got a desire for money. Everybody else has got this desire for money thing figured out. I'm the only one that fill in the blank. I'm the only one longing for that promotion at work. I'm the only one wanting to marry the beautiful girl. I'm the only one wanting to marry the husband with a nice car and the big paycheck. But it's something that all of us struggle with and when we fish for people we have to be real we have to expect brokenness from broken people and we have to demonstrate our own brokenness because if we are following Jesus and he still compares us to sheep we have to be okay with that and we have to demonstrate that so I want to encourage you in your fishing for people. Be real so that people can relate to you. So that they don't feel like they're the only ones that struggle. The last pillar, this is a nice pillar, this is the Kair one. But, again, as with Jesus, there's a tough part to it. So this is sort of the last formal conversation Jesus has with his disciples. So it's just before he gets crucified. It's called the Last Supper. Um, he's just washed their feet. And it's interesting for me. Who of you f- feel that Jesus was the best disciple maker ever? Okay, so those of you who didn't raise your hands, who's a better, better disciple maker than Jesus? Okay. So I think Jesus was the best disciple maker ever. The son of God, perfect, without sin. And he did it in a very intense manner. He walked with these people for three years. Three years is a long time. Every day, day in and day out. So now he's coming to the end of this journey. He's going to be crucified soon. He knows he's going to have to leave them. And he's, what he's doing is he's entrusting the fight of the world to these 12 men. I don't know when last you thought about that, but that's in essence what Jesus was doing. Yes, they're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I'm not neglecting that, but these 12 men needed to be obedient, and they needed to know the game plan, and they needed to execute the game plan. There's a cool saying that says, what will happen if all the Christians in the world are locked in a room? What will happen for the kingdom if all the Christians in the world is locked in a room and they just prayed for six months? Nothing will happen in that six months. Because God has declared that everything on earth that happens for his kingdom has to happen through his people. Reinhard Bonker puts it beautifully. He says, evangelism without prayer is like a bomb without a detonator. But prayer without evangelism is like a detonator without a bomb. Uh, When last have you seen a detonator? I went um, to the shooting range yesterday. And I shoot a quite large caliber gun, but I had a, a round that had a primer pushed in the back, but no gunpowder or um, thing in front of it. But I had to shoot the primer because I wanted to take it out, but taking it out while it's still alive is uh, a bit dangerous. So I put it in the chamber and I fired a shot. And this big gun of mine that I've shot it many times and it still scares me a little bit. Every time when I shoot it, I sort of close my eyes and I hope I hit the target. And I pulled the trigger and it went like a BB gun. It's that small little charge. Now, Reinhard Bonker compares prayer and evangelism to each other like that. So, 
What, the point I'm driving is we have to go out. So now Jesus is entrusting the fate of the world to these 12. He spent three years to disciple them. Now let's pick up the conversation. Where does it start? It's a very interesting place. Then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Huh? How's that for a conversation? You're sitting at the table. Jesus has discipled you for three years. He's about to be crucified. And we're having an argument about who's going to be the greatest. I can just imagine Jesus sitting there thinking to myself, himself, guys, like, surely I've taught you more than that. But Jesus is so nice, he just teaches them. And Jesus told them, in this world, the kings are called great, uh, wait, let me just find my place. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I, Jesus speaking, am among you as the one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom. I now grant you the right. Um, I now grant you the right. Eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So one day, there will be glory. But here on this earth, how does this fellowship look? We have to outserve one another. We have to be willing to be the least. When I look back over my life, when I've grown the most is in times of service. A story that I'll never forget is before we were in this venue and then before the bike shop, and I don't think there was anything between the primary school and the bike shop, we were in a school hall and we packed chairs. And there was a time when we had three services. Uh, I think it was 9 in the morning before we moved it to 9.30 and then a 4 and a 6 p.m. service. And I think we packed something like 250 chairs. It was a lot of work packing chairs and it's grunt work. There's nothing glamorous about it. You don't stand in front and you don't take the mic. And but you know how much I've grown packing chairs, trusting God for who's going to sit in this chair, being part of the body, making ministry happen. You know how much I've grown serving my wife, serving my kids. Kids is amazing for growth. You know, cleaning a poop nappy for a kid that can't do anything in return for you. Like the best you get is a smile, and that's plenty. Like if it's two in the morning and they smile at you cute, you're like, oh, it was all worth it. Service is the thing that we are discipled into. It was modeled for us. We're not discipled into glamorous positions. We're not discipled into amazing positions of power. To the contrary, the higher the position of power, the more the service becomes. Who knows who Ben Parker is? It's, it's someone in the movie. It's not a real person. Okay, who, who knows who Peter Parker is? Who's Peter Parker? He's, he's the super, super guy with the webs coming out of his hand and the Spider-Man. So there's a quote that I love from Ben Parker speaking to his son. And he says, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think it's such a biblical quote. But very often we forget about that, that in the kingdom we have to serve. We have to serve. If we're not willing to serve, we're not following the real Jesus. We're following another Jesus. We have to be willing to serve. There's a quote that I like that's going to come onto the screen now. And Marifa, if you and your team can start getting ready, I feel like um, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to a couple of people here today. And I want to invite you to not let the moment pass. I've made... 
I've tried to incorporate a couple of jokes very unsuccessfully so. You guys are very serious, but it is serious scriptures that I'm sharing, and, and I'm okay with that, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is here, and He wants to do some things in our heart. And this is a quote that I like. It says, measurement is the first step that leads to control and eventually to improvement. If you can't measure something, you can't understand it. And if you can't understand it, you can't control it. And if you can't control it, you can't improve it. If you can go to the next slide for me. So what I want you to do now is Marifa and the band is going to start just ever so gently playing something. And I'm going to give you five minutes before I'm going to carry on because I've got something else to say still. I'm going to give you five minutes and rate yourself out of ten in each category. Have you made a principle, commitment, decision to follow Jesus? Have you counted the cost and are you willing to pay it? In other words, have you come through the gate so that you can follow the real Jesus? How do you do in terms of fishing? Are you deliberate? Are you seeking opportunities? Are you inviting other people to follow Christ? And how's your fellowship with other believers? How's your servanthood? Something that we not um, so deliberate at anymore, but before we had kids, me and Renee had a, a Thursday thing. So what we'll do is every Thursday we'll have a braai or a games night or a movie or a pizza or a something at our place and we could comfortably sit about six people around our dining room table so we always had ten people. I don't know why but we have this thing like there's always room for more. Like we can we can fit things. I think we will be good at, uh, at Tetris if, if we played the game as a family. But what we did is we'll have ten people over. And we'll make sure that it's normally about a 70-30 split, saved and unsaved people. And you must see the God encounters that happen at things like that, where we deliberately make room for the Holy Spirit and we just care. We didn't preach. We never did anything. We didn't even watch a sermon or anything like that. We, we just fellowshiped. I'll never forget it. The one night the one guy broke out in tears. At the dining room table, nine strangers, or eight strangers, his girlfriend was sitting next to him. And we were like, why are you crying? And he said something so powerful. He said, you will never understand what this means to me. This is the first time, and he was probably 25 at the time. This is the first time in my life that I've sat around the table to have a meal and felt cared for. First time of his life. We haven't even preached Jesus to him yet. He just felt cared for. So in your fishing for people, in your fellowship, do you care for people? So I'm going to give you five minutes. And I want you to really write yourself in each one of those pillars out of ten. I'm going to give you another two minutes just to finish that up. You know, I just want to, I just feel the Holy Spirit is saying to actually write it down. If you've got a piece of paper, do that. If you've got your phone, I like sending myself emails because then I read it the following day again and sort of emphasize it. But however you want to do, just, just take a note and write yourself, honestly speaking, one to ten. Follow, fish, fellowship. So in the week that's coming, what I want you to do is the one that you scored yourself the lowest in. Pick somebody that in your circle that you're close with, that you trust. Share with them what that thing is. For me, it's the fishing. I've made a principal commitment to follow Jesus. And I say no quite often, but I say yes, Lord, more often than what I say no. But fishing is something that I score the lowest in. It could be something else for you, but 
share with someone in the week and trust God how you can grow in that pillar. Then just practically on discipleship, I want to invite all of you to make a commitment to being effectively discipled, but also to discipling others. We as a church, we've got a spiritual growth series. The first one is starting next week, Life Encounter. And it goes Home Encounter all the way to Encounter 5, which is share how to be better fishers. It's a great tool. It was very effective in my discipling. Bible school is a fantastic tool. Sunday services come as often as you can. We miss services often because we're away or life is busy, but we've made a principal commitment as a family that this is important for us. And it helps us to keep saying yes. That continual showing up, sitting under the word, you can't discount how important that is. But then very importantly, something that I personally am big on is personal discipleship. Being discipled by somebody and also discipling somebody else. And the reason why I'm big on it is because I see it in Jesus' life. Jesus didn't disciple random people. He went to somebody and he says, Hey, do you want to be discipled? My name is Christoph. Your name is X. Let's walk a road together. And if I look back over my life, there wasn't people who came to me and said, Hey, Christoph, I see potential. Can I disciple you? But I was hungry enough to ask. I was humble enough to ask. And I want to encourage you to, if there's someone whose fruit you want in your own life, Jesus says, we must judge people by their fruits. Interestingly enough, in the modern church, we say we mustn't judge. But when I read the New Testament, it says, in the church, we must judge one another. But the people outside of the church, we mustn't judge. So we sort of flip that around. We judge the people on the outside. And on the inside, we get away with proverbial murder. So look at someone and say, that fruit, I want that fruit. And go to that person and say, can you spare 30 minutes, an hour, a week, every second week? Can we meet on Zoom? Or can I just share with you on WhatsApp the stuff that I'm going through? Discipleship can take many forms, but I believe that there should be defined relationships. There's people who know that disciple me, and there's also other people that know that I'm discipling them. There's power in defining the relationship. Then there's a couple of people that we're going to pray for. There's people who haven't made the principal decision. As that passage started, there were many people who followed him. I believe there's people here this morning that's been following. You haven't made a principal decision. You haven't counted the cost. You haven't said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to, in comparison, hate my own family to be able to follow you. I am willing to say no to the promotion, no to the money, no to those things. And I want to pray for those people. So we can just bow our heads and just respect the moment briefly. If you that person, if you have been in the crowd, you even grew up in a Christian family, but you haven't personally said, Jesus, I'm willing to count the cost. I'm not going to start building this tower and halfway through be found with not enough money to finish it. Jesus, I'm counting the cost and I'm saying in principle, yes, this morning. If that's you, don't you just want to raise your hand? Just make a commitment before Christ and say, Jesus, I am saying in principle, yes. That's the one group of people that I would like to pray for this morning. And the second group, there's people who scored very low. Two out of ten, three out of ten, in any one of those pillars. There's going to be people who are going to lay hands on you this morning and trust God for impartation, trust God for your life to change, for you to become more effective in following Jesus, fishing for people and fellowshipping with other believers. And if that's you, I want to encourage you to 
also come to the front and receive a gift by the laying on of hands. So if all of you can stand with me, I'm going to close the service in prayer. Marie Fani's team is going to just lead us in worship. But I want to encourage you, don't let the moment pass you by. The Holy Spirit is here. The picture that I'm seeing is how the Spirit hovered over the formless, shapeless world in the beginning of Genesis. And maybe you feel your discipleship life is a little bit like that. It's formless and shapeless. And I feel the Holy Spirit is here and we're going to speak a word and the Holy Spirit will create order and He will impart into your discipleship life. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria. Pretoria.